Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog all together at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Welcome to SWE Stories, Tales from the Archives. I'm Ann Perusik, SWE's Director of Editorial and Publications. And I'm Troy Eller-English, SWE's Archivist. SWE members typically head to Washington, D.C. around this time each year for Congressional Visits Day, speaking to their legislators about policy issues that are relevant to STEM education and women in the engineering workforce. This year, those meetings begin on April 14th and are, of course, happening virtually. SWE has hosted Congressional Visits Day for more than a decade. It's pretty remarkable not only because of the impact that members can have in educating policymakers, but also because for much of its history, the society has expressly avoided participating in public policy. So today we're going back into the archives to explore how SWE's stance evolved from actively avoiding public policy advocacy in its early years to actively engaging in it. Yes, it's an interesting journey. It's so interesting that SWE's first archivist, Lauren Cada, wrote her master's thesis about the society's first introduction to public policy debates in the 1970s. She noted that SWE's original bylaws expressly forbade the society from commenting on public policy. Uh, Leaders at the time worried that it would jeopardize the society's tax-exempt status and that it was necessary for the financial health of SWE to have no official opinion on political or policy issues at all. But some members were really annoyed by that position. SWE San Francisco section member Olive Mayer wrote a letter to President Mickey Gurla in 1957 listing, quote, women's problems that SWE could and should speak out about, like the Equal Rights Amendment, Equal Pay Laws, and Community Property Laws. And Mayer also identified engineering problems that SWE should advocate for, including legislation affecting professional licensing, infrastructure, and workplace management and personnel issues. But in the 1950s, SWE definitely wasn't going to speak out about any of that. So in her letter to Mickey Gurla, Mayer protested that, quote, It seems to me we have very unique bylaws. If we cannot democratically participate as a group in formulating the laws which govern us as engineers and as women workers, as other organizations do, the Equal Rights Amendment and the Constitu- to the Constitution has been endorsed by well over 100 women's organizations. Many of these are incorporated as we are. Why do our bylaws not allow us to take a stand while all these other organizations can? End quote. Yes, SWE leaders held a very narrow view of the policy issues SWE could comment on. 
After successfully defending the society's tax-exempt status following an IRS tax code revision, Executive Committee member and soon-to-be President Patricia Brown explained what was acceptable and unacceptable in an article published in the March 1961 issue of the SWE newsletter. Brown wrote, quote, In accordance with this restriction, the society, national or sections, cannot actively work toward influencing legislation affecting engineers or women. The society certainly could not work for such projects as additional tax deductions and free nursery schools for working mothers, licensing requirements for engineers, or modifications in state labor laws for women. Of course, a SWE member is free to engage in all such work as an individual, but not in the name of the society. The Society of Women Engineers has its tax ruling, and we are operating by the book. We hope that clarifies the basis for our society position, end quote. SWE mostly stayed quiet on public policy issues for the next decade. However, SWE's leaders in the 1970s tended to be of a younger generation, and they weren't really around in the 1950s when SWE was defending its tax status. And they were seemingly more open to the women's rights movement and activism than the society's earlier leaders. One of the major policy issues at the time was the Equal Rights Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, also known as the ERA. It was first introduced in Congress in 1923, and some version of it had been reintroduced every year thereafter. But in 1971 and 1972, it finally gained traction and was passed by both the U.S. House and Senate. At least 38 states needed to ratify the ERA in order to amend the U.S. Constitution. That process started out strong, but began to stall in 1973. So, SWE's Council of Section Representatives, which is the predecessor of today's Senate, debated at the 1973 convention whether to formally endorse the ERA. Naomi McAfee was SWE's president at the time, and very outspoken in her support of the amendment. She recalled the Society's internal debate about it during a SWE oral history interview in 2003 with archivist Lauren Cada. The following excerpt has been edited for length. There was a lot of changes that were going on in society in general. Uh, For example, the Equal Rights Amendment had just been passed out of Congress at that point in time. (laughs) And so people were becoming more and more aware of those type of activities. Uh, Title IX was passed along about that time, too. So it was a question of how, how can we concentrate our efforts in such a way as to create the greatest impact. Right, right. And there were, you know, many of those things were the same. Uh, even though SWE wouldn't really admit that, uh, they were interested in how can we get jobs and how can we get better pay for the jobs that we're in, or at least equal pay to men, type of thing. Uh, how can we encourage more people, uh, particularly women, to come into this field and uh, see it as a, a strong career move? Um, 
also within SWE there was a feeling that if you really went out and pushed for quote equality you were going to be thought of this bra burning hatchet bearing uh, militant who was fighting uh, was was killing the image of SWE as being rational professional women who were really looking for for change in a reasonable way. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a group that uh, said, you know, uh, if we really go out in our endorsement of the Equal Rights Amendment, then we are, quote, lobbying, and therefore we are endangering our tax status. It's a specious argument, because there are many ways that you can advocate your point of view without lobbying. And one of the ways you do that is by getting up and saying, gee, I'm for this, without putting a ton of money behind it. Oh, okay. Uh, everybody said, well, you can do that as an individual. But it ha helps more if I can go out and say, as a group of X number of women engineers, we feel that we have a right to be treated as equals. There was a group that was very vocal about we can't do this because if we do that, then we have violated all of our uh, tenants. We are no longer uh, staying true to what our charter was and what our initial, initial goals were. And there was another group that was saying, well, gee, our initial go goals is to uh, advocate the position of women in the profession. How do you do that without advocating the position of women in society? Right. And so it was just you know, night and day. So there was certainly debate about whether SWE should explicitly endorse the Equal Rights Amendment. But when it came up for a vote in the Council of Section Representatives in 1973, the motion passed 15 to 1. But the ERA completely lost momentum, and by 1977, it was still three states short of adoption. So another debate emerged within SWE about whether the society should boycott states that had not ratified the amendment. Some felt that the economic impact of doing so could influence legislators in those states. However, others argued that SWE would have more impact on ERA politics by actively holding events in those unratified states, flooding them with professional women and role models. In 1977, the Council approved the boycott with the exception of the 1978 convention in Atlanta, Georgia, a state that had not ratified the amendment. That exception was necessary to get enough support for the boycott to pass, but even then, the vote margin was much tighter than the Council's earlier vote to endorse the amendment. While 18 representatives voted in 1977 for the boycott, seven representatives voted against it, and one abstained. So, the 1978 convention in Atlanta moved forward despite the boycott. Naomi McAfee, now a SWE past president, was the awards banquet keynote speaker that year, and she recalled the experience in her SWE oral history interview the following excerpt has been edited for length. Um, I actually went into that uh, conference or convention with two speeches for that banquet. One was the one I gave, 
and one was a light, fun type thing that would just celebrate the activities of the week. Right. And when I got there, I had no idea which one I was going to give. And I still, up until Friday evening, mm -hmm. had not made up my mind which one I was going to give. Uh, a news reporter on TV. He came out and he said, would like to report that we have this group of highly qualified professional women, the Society of Women Engineers, who are meeting in this state in spite of their resolution to not meet in unratified states. So that cemented my decision to give the speech I gave. Mm -hmm. Because at that point in time, I thought we had an agreement that, yeah, we came and we kept our commitment, but it doesn't mean that we still don't feel strongly about what we we said we would do. Right, right. And uh, what were some of the main themes of your speech? Well, my main theme of the speech was uh, actually I think I retraced the the history of women in the workforce when you come right down to it. And then uh, talked about you know uh, the status of women uh, starting back in I don't know 1200 and coming through. Uh, looked at wh what women were making in 1960, which was something like uh, 59 cents on the dollar for every dollar a man made, and they, we had gotten up to, and it's been a long time, so I don't remember the exact numbers. That's okay, yeah. But uh, we gained a couple of cents along the line, and then in 1978, we were back to 59 cents. For every dollar a man made, a woman made 59 cents. And looking at that, my reaction was that if we kept going at that rate, eventually we would be paying people to allow us to work. Which, a little bit far out, but uh, you know, you can draw those. And I talked about the things that we needed to do. Uh, uh, emphasized uh, what some of those were. Uh, and then ended up with the fact that we were the people who were the educated people, the uh, ones who had really made it, but we were unwilling to support our sisters who hadn't. How did people respond to that? Well, about half the group stood up and cheered and about half sat at the table. Wow. So, anyway, it was an interesting evening. Right, right. It was probably more interesting next day because of uh, People that you had known for years, it would just froze you as you walked past them. Oh, no. But, uh, and it was interesting also, when I got back, I got some, some anonymous letters that were really great. Uh, some of them threatening. Mm -hmm. I got some that were very positive. And some of the anon anonymous letters were hilarious because they were handwritten and you could recognize the handwriting. So, anyway. Swee's boycott effectively ended in 1982 when the Equal Rights Amendment failed to be ratified by the established deadline. The society faced significant structural and financial challenges in the 1980s, and so the leaders moved on and moved away from policy debates for the next decade. However, although they didn't necessarily know it at the time, in the late 1980s, we members were laying the groundwork for a new and less contentious generation of public policy advocacy. 
The Chicago Regional Section surveyed its members to find out who they were and how their careers were going. One of the people who spearheaded that survey was Patricia Eng, who is now a fellow life member of the Society. Because of her leadership on that Chicago survey, she was invited to be on SWE's Statistics Committee and was tasked with expanding the survey. In 1989 and 1990, she and future SWE president Catherine Cunningham worked with the statistician at the Engineering Manpower Commission, Dick Ellis, to scale up the project to a pilot comparative survey of male and female engineers in SWE and the National Society of Professional Engineers in an eight-state region in the Midwest. SWE past president Maggie Hickel volunteered the Minnesota section to stuff the envelopes, and Eng tallied nearly 600 responses to the survey, and Dick Ellis analyzed the data and published the findings of the pilot survey in the Engineering Manpower Commission's newsletter in 1991. The Statistics Committee, under the leadership of future SWE presidents Peggy Lane and Shelley Wolf, worked with Dick Ellis and the American Association of Engineering Societies to expand the project even more as a comparative survey of the members of 22 engineering societies. They asked Patricia Ng, who was now on SWE's board of directors, to review the findings with fellow board member Alexis Svoboda before the report was published in 1993 as the National Survey on Women and Men Engineers. And this national survey reintroduced SWE to the public policy sphere. In 1994, Ng found herself sitting next to past President Suzanne Genesis testifying on the findings of the report during a hearing of the U.S. House of Representatives Subcommittee on Energy. She talked about the experience in a 2021 SWE oral history interview. The following excerpt has been edited for length. Anyway, so the thing was published, and um, and and they, it was kind of them to come back and say, "Well, you know, you started this. What do you think?" And um, let me put my paw print on it. So I'm sitting in my office, minding my own business, hating life because my boss hates me, and my phone rings, and I answer it, and um, it's this young lady called Rose Ritz. And she works for the House Subcommittee on something or other. And I'm thinking, oh, she's going to talk to me about accidents at nuclear power plants. But no, she wanted to talk to me about the survey. So we talked about it. And, you know, I had nothing else to do. So I talked to her about how we started in Chicago. And we did the da-da-da-da-da. And she said, well, we'd like you to come down and testify before Congress on this. And I said, excuse me? Surely there's somebody else that's better qualified. No, we want you. Why me? Now, there's all kinds of speculation. Um, and it didn't occur to me until much, much later that um, everybody else who were, were close to the national survey, actually much closer than I was, were white females. You may have noticed that I'm not a white female. I was a nervous wreck. I mean, I was throwing up before I walked in there and then it turned out to be a piece of cake. And the one thing for people who are gonna testify before Congress, you're allowed to put, give a written statement and then you do an oral statement. 
my oral statement was basically me, me reading my written statement. Don't do that. Don't do that. Write two separate statements. You have much bigger impact that way. Basically, um, I didn't know what to say because I was not as politically astute then as I am now. Um, I basically said that we had done this thing. It's the first ever statistically valid comparative survey between women and men, and men engineers. And we did it both on a regional level as a pilot, and then we did the national survey. What it shows is that women typically um, do not get as far in their career as their male counterparts. They also have issues um, that men do not have. The bottom line is men always say, well, if they don't succeed, it's never their fault. It's the economy, it's their boss, it's something else. Women, and we broke it down by decade, like from 20 to 29, 30 to 39, 40 to 49, 50 to 59. And then we, we ran out of statistically significant numbers over 60 because of when we ran the survey. I think if you ran the survey today, you would have, it would be interesting to see how attitudes have changed. But um, women always find something wrong with them. Between 20 and 29, they don't have enough experience. Between 30 and 39, they're having problems with time management. Between 40 and 49, um, it's, discri it's discrimination or they don't have enough training or something. And that's always something that they don't have that holds them back. It's never something external. The National Survey provided SWE with the opportunity to re-engage in public policy advocacy and to do so in a way that didn't stir political controversy or fears that the society was, fraying, was straying too far from its mission. However, whilst we increasingly had the will to discuss policy issues with lawmakers, it didn't yet have the means to do so. The society's ability to share information with legislators was hindered by its inexperience and lack of access in Washington. FYO4 President Alma Martinez-Fallon recognized this problem and made it a key priority during her time on the board. In a 2021 SWE oral history interview, she recalled working with former SWE executive director Betty Shanahan to establish a partnership with ASME to share a public policy representative in Washington, D.C. The other thing, too, is the public policy. Um, um, that was instrumental. Um, so, and again, that was one of those air time with, uh, with our executive director at the time, Betty, and we were flying from, from, um, an event and we strategized when I was president elect, I said, I want to do this because it's important for us to really make a difference on STEM uh, for young women, K through 12 on STEM for also post-college, post we have to really impact, affect public policy. We have to educate, um, provide data, uh, provide experiences, um, evidence through experiences uh, to, to our lawmakers legislators. And obviously, Sweet did not have that background. So that's where I made that connection with ASME. Because on ASME, I was a member of the public um, relations, public policy 
uh, Council on Public Policy. So I made a connection with the senior level staff and Betty, and Betty just made it happen. Um, so it's um, um, by hiring um, an ASME staff that can really start putting the infrastructure that would have a SWE member, a leader of SWE, to sit in front of a um, of any kind of hearings as it relates to um, women in engineering and and STEM education. So that's that's really cool. It really was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it took several years because I think. I believe that might have been a bit of resistance because of folks were scared that we're going to be politicians. That it's really going to change sweet, uh, you know, um, trajectory to be more, um, I don't want to use that word, but to be more political involved, which then it could deter from corporations supporting us because we're political. And it didn't happen, of course it didn't, because we're there to educate as our legislators are going through um, assessing or going through new policies in the area of STEM. Through its partnership with ASME, SWE's Washington representative helped the society to find a seat at the policy table and advocate on a narrow set of issues, including technological literacy, Title IX's application to STEM education, and gender equity in STEM. In 2006, the Society released the first of several policy papers, this one titled, quote, SWE General Position Statement on Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics, STEM Education, and the Need for a U.S. Technologically Literate Workforce, end quote. And in 2009, SWE members gathered in Washington, D.C. for what was then called Capitol Hill Day. So as you can see, SWE has traveled quite the road from actively avoiding public policy to actively participating in it. Whether or not you're participating in Congressional Visits Day this year, we hope you find a way to use your professional expertise to educate policymakers on issues affecting women engineers in the classroom and in the field. And if you'd like to know more about how you can advocate, visit swe.org slash public hyphen policy. From myself, Troy, and everyone else at SWE, thanks for listening. <laughs>